following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. And for, for more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. All right, let's open our Bibles, Matthew 28. That'll kind of fit in well with where we are today. Uh, we'll let you know soon if there's a way that we can serve them uh, financially. Uh, there's going to be some things that need to be fixed up. I'm getting that echo again, Don. I don't know if that's um, going on. Uh, we found uh, this morning that with the lack of bodies in the audience that my mic my, my mic is off, so we're having to make some adjustments to it as well. We had a, a light early service today. It was really funny. I was telling something. We had one a couple uh, sat in the very back of the balcony. It was the most awesome thing, and I thought that was really cool. I was thinking that in the second service what we'd do is we'd all pile in the front, so for live stream, it looked like there's a lot of people in the crowd, right? Um, but anyway, so if you're joining us online, there's probably a lot of people here online with us <clears throat> today. We're glad you're with us uh, at all. All right, so over the course of December, we have been in this series on Advent. And what I've tried to do with the Advent series is be traditional, um, cover each of the themes. But I've also wanted to do something that I hope you've caught. And I've wanted to spend a great deal of time recognizing that Jesus perfectly fulfilled what God promised in Genesis chapter 3 with a broad overview of what we'd call biblical theology. We tried to go from beginning to end and really cover things in this. And we wanted to see that Jesus really is the Genesis 3 champion who has restored our hope in God, restored our peace with God, restored our joy of God, and restored, the, and restored to us and revealed to us the love of God. And we've seen this at every turn. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I have certain parts of sermons that really uh, encourage my soul. One of them was last Sunday. And it was a statement where I made that Jesus' is coming is the evidence that God loves us. You go, that's why is that fun for you? It's a, it's a reminder to me that God sent Christ as the evidence. And it's a reminder to me heading into Christmas season. So yesterday for me was a, another remarkable moment to just be reminded, mindful Christ has come. It reveals to us the love of God on full display, that love truly did come down at Christmas. And so that's where we're at in our series. Now, you might get the feeling, I, I don't know how you, how you handle your Christmas days. Um, I get to Christmas night. Uh, we come home after family gatherings. And I generally like to sit and look at the tree lit. And I always look down and notice all the gifts are gone. Last night, we let our dog out when we got back home, and our dog ran straight under the tree and started licking up the water under the thing. That was kind of an interesting moment. But I always had this moment after Christmas Day when all the gifts are gone, everything's done, and I get a little depressed. Because now I think to myself, we've built all year long to get to this one day, and it's gone, Right? Um, you, 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 I mean, literally all year long as my wife and I are out doing things, we're buying Christmas gifts for our kids, just storing things away. And I can't wait to give them that, those gifts. I can't wait to celebrate with our family. And then it comes and it's gone. And you might even be like me. I kind of asked myself like, what, what, wasn't that? Well, you know, what's coming tomorrow? You know, um, I was telling Jill last night at our family gathering, it was getting kind of late. And I said, I said, this is so weird to think that tomorrow morning we're going right back at church. I mean, things are clicking. They're going, they're right back at it. What now? Right? And you feel that way when you're going through the Advent series. You know, you've gone through all the ways that we've covered Jesus and how he's come for us. And we've seen that he has come for us. And you might even step back and go, what, what now? What, what goes on now after Advent? Well, that's what I want to cover this morning. So if you've got your notes with it, pull those out. 
You've got a big idea in the bulletin, and here's what the big idea is that I want us to cover this morning. Jesus came to fulfill the promise and mission of God, and he calls us to represent him in the fulfillment of his mission. Okay, that's what I want to see this morning. See, what we've got to see is Christmas Day is not meant to be a one, a standalone day. It's not meant to be standalone. It's, it's not to be meant to be a one-off day with nothing to follow. The coming of Jesus to earth as the God-man is the fulfillment of the promise made in Genesis chapter 3. And it's really the beginning of the end of the mission of God toward this world in this temporal world that we live in. And what we're going to see this morning is it's a part of God's grand plan. And God's plan to send Jesus was not plan B. You know, sometimes as Christians, we kind of look back at the Bible and we think to ourselves, God made the world and then Adam and Eve kind of goofed it up. And then God scrambled in the council of the Godhead and said, what are we going to do now? Okay, Jesus, you'll go great. Okay, then we got it settled. That's not what happened. God sending Jesus was God's plan A. The plan of redemption and restoration was in the mind of God long before God made Adam and long before God ever spoke, said one word to get the worlds into existence. And that grand plan, what Paul would call the mystery of the ages, became visible when Jesus Christ was born on the earth. It was the beginning of the end, a a plan for all the ages where we could say Advent is going to go to all the world. And what's crazy is when you think about how, how eternal that is, right? The all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful God among themselves in the Godhead having this plan of redemption and restoration. He, he thought it all up. He planned it all out. He has all the power to execute his plan. That God then who designed all that then determined, and I'm going to use humans in the process, that God determined before time began that he's going to take you and I and he's going to drop us into the grand plan of God to be used of God to accomplish the mission of God. That, that's simply remarkable news. That's what we're going to see this morning. Jesus came to fulfill the promise and mission of God and he calls us to represent him in the fulfillment of his mission. So let's stand together. We're going to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20 together. <clears throat> and then we'll pray. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, for us to understand the eternal things in the mind of God, we need you to reveal those things to us. And we thank you that in your word, you've given enough to us to help us to see that you have been at this plan from before time began. And you've showed us as well that when time is over, this plan will be done and finished. And I pray that you would show us what happens in between. That we have a role to play. I pray you'd help us to be people 
who take the advent of Christ to the world and give us grace to do so. Open our eyes to see the wonder, <clears throat> the wonder and wisdom and power of God at work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now let's, let's jump in to our first point, which is looking at the greatness of Advent's mission. Okay, now we just read Matthew 28. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But I want to I once again go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I want to be reminded of something. I want to be reminded of what we studied in this series, right? If you've been here the last several weeks, Genesis 3.15 has, has just become a verse, hopefully, that you've memorized, that you are recognizing and seeing things. This is stuck in your head. It's the promise of the Savior, the hope of the Bible, in the midst of the darkest chapter about humans in the Bible. It's a promise given to us directly after our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God. It's the moment when mankind has been plunged into war and conflict with God that God gives this promise to us as humans. And notice, it's for all mankind. It's for all the world. People from every tribe, every, every nation, every people group of human history. Now, notice how big this promise is. It's about reversing the curse that is on sin, that sin brought into this world. It's about a champion for all people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. It's, and this is incredibly important for us to see how big this is, because as humans, we get naturally very myopic and self-focused. It's easy for us to get discouraged. It's easy for us to get easily depressed and lose sight of this. I mean, just go back and look at your life in 2020 and ask how quickly you lost hope about what was happening in your world around him. See, the Jewish people did this. They thought the promise was strictly about them. This champion would restore their fortunes, their history, and their prosperity. As Americans, we do this. We have this Christian ethos kind of to our founding, and we naturally think that this has to do with something about us. It's about our nation, our people, our heritage, our land, our happiness. But as Christians, we do this as well. We think this is naturally individualistic. It's it's all about me, myself, and I. Jesus came for me. My point is simply this. When you look at Genesis chapter 3, you'll notice all those things are true in one way or another. It's, 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 it's true that Jesus came for Israelites, that he came for Palestinians, that he came for Americans. It's true he came for you, and it's true he came for individual nations to turn them to God, but it's not big enough. He didn't just come only for us. He came on a large scale. Advent's mission is a large scale, a champion for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And I've said this before, but part of the reason we get disappointed in God's work is because, listen clearly, we have our hope fixed on the wrong plan of God. So let's make sure as we start today that we just get the true hope of the Bible really in mind here. It's a champion to come who would come to reverse the curse of Genesis chapter 3 for people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. It's a grand plan. It's a large mission. It's a huge task. And we've got to see that as we open up our Bibles on this. Now, in the Bible, we don't just see the, the bigness of the task. We also have a portrait of Advent's mission. That's our second point. You'll see that in your outline. So let's look at ways that God's shown us this in the Bible. What he's done, which is amazing, is he's given us a broad view of it, but he's also given us a portrait or picture of what this might look like. Now, Matthew 28, 
that we just read a moment ago is familiar to you if you've been in the church for very long at all. I mean, if you, <clears throat> you know, it's called the Great Commission. It comes on the heels of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has fulfilled at that moment everything he came to do. Lived a perfect life, died for uh, on the cross for our sin, rose again from the dead, and he's achieved our salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. He's done it all. And in this moment, he stood as the exalted champion with all authority in heaven and earth, and he told his disciples exactly what he wanted them to do. And notice what it is. Go make disciples of all nations. That sounds pretty familiar, and as we go, you'll see this how familiar this is as we get going. Well, you may not know this great commission, as you've heard it so often, we think Jesus came, gave us a job to do, great, we're supposed to go do it. But what you may not know is the great commission, which is God's grand plan, is actually revealed to us much earlier in the Bible. At the very outset of human history, when God made us as humans, he shows us why he made us. Notice in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, because in that text, we see that God made us in his image. And we've seen throughout this series that we were made to experience the peace of God that we, that we find in the Godhead. We experience the joy of God that we find in the Godhead. That we are, were to experience the love of God that we found in the Godhead. We're made in God's image to be able to experience what goes on in the Godhead. But what being made in his image also means is that we as humans, like no other creature on the earth, were made to represent God on the earth. And as his representatives on the earth, he gave us a particular job to it. He says, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the earth. Meaning we're to be productive people with work and industry. And we're to have families and to populate the earth with more image bearers and more representatives of God. And just like we saw in Genesis 3, notice how big this mandate is in Genesis chapter 1. It's about all the earth. It was given at the outset of our history, which tells us what God had originally planned for us as human beings prior to the fall. And what we've seen in Genesis chapter 3 is that the sin really messed this whole thing up. From Genesis 3 onward, and you can look in your own history and see this, we see that our sinful pursuit of taking dominion of the earth was now becoming through military force or through political action or through, through manipulation to get our own way and so on. Rather than being God's representatives and taking dominion with God's tools for God's plans, we became our own representatives. Through wars, threats of violence, the pursuit of power by any means necessary with our own selfish tools for our own selfish plans. See, what's interesting is, in Genesis 3, mankind gave up their godlike dominion mandate, the big mandate, for something much more selfish and much, much smaller. That sounds interesting. You, know, you, you can see that in your own life, can't you? How easy it is when things go chaotic in the world to suddenly turn inward. We see it in the Jewish nation. We see it in the American nation. Suddenly, Christian people begin to go myopic and small rather than big and grand about what is God doing in this world right now. But this didn't stop God. Sin did not stop God from continuing his plan. After God sent the flood and saved Noah and his, ar his family in the ark of salvation, notice what he says to them and reaffirms to them in Genesis 9-7. He gives them the same mandate he gave back in Genesis chapter 1. Even after our sin, after the flood, God still had the grand plan in mind. The questions now became, 
back with Adam, he was going to do it with an innocent person who hadn't sinned yet. What does he do with a man like Noah whose family has been living in sin? Matter of fact, as soon as Noah and his family step off the ark into dry ground, they start sinning against God immediately. But that didn't stop God. Because now we can move on in Genesis chapter 12 and we get a portrait of what God's doing. In Genesis 12, God told a man named Abram to leave his homeland and travel to a foreign land. In that foreign land, God would make Abram a great nation. And his family or nation would become a blessing and their name would be great. And from that nation, Abraham's family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you know your Bible, you know your history, you know this. Abraham's family is a nation of Israel. But notice the mandate or the commission that he gave to Abram's family. They will be a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by them and through them. Sounds an awful lot like Genesis 1, like Genesis 9. Go take dominion of the earth, be a blessing to all nations. But what's fascinating about this Genesis 12 dominion or, or commandment or commission is it's mentioned four other times, excuse me, yeah, four other times in the book of Genesis. Genesis 18, Genesis 22, Genesis 26, and Genesis 28. All referencing this commission and plan of God to his people. All the nations of the earth would be blessed in the nation of Israel. Now I tell my kids, if I say something once, you need to listen. If I repeat it, you better pay close attention. Right? When God repeats something over and over and over and over again, he means something very important. And when God repeats this over and over again in the book of Genesis, he's trying to get something out to us to realize his grand plan has not stopped. See, Genesis 12 is a transition in human history. It's the first time in human history that we see God go from the first men, like Adam and Noah, to a specific group of people like Israel. And Adam and Noah, it made sense, right? Adam was the first man. Noah was the first man after the flood. Everybody's gone. What do they need to do? Go populate the earth and start working the earth and get this thing moving forward. But what do you do when the earth is finally populated? <clears throat> what do you do? What's the portrait? What is, what's the example that God reveals to us of how he's going to continue with his plan moving forward? Well, you notice what he did. He chose a nation. He chose a group of people. He chose a people group to carry out his grand plan. In Genesis 1 and 9, when God gave the mandate... It made all the sense in the world. But in Genesis 12, we see a portrait of this mandate with the people of Israel. Now, the question would be then, when you look at the Old Testament, how did Israel do with the mandate? How, what did they do? Throughout the Old Testament, you see over and over again how God worked for his people. In the book of Ex in Exodus, he delivers them from 400 years of Egyptian slavery. In the book of Joshua, they finally land and settle in the land that God gave them, the promised land. But once they got in the promised land... What they want? They wanted to be like all the other nations of the world. We want a king. And they demanded God to give them a king. And God gave them Saul. And we see good kings like David. We see bad kings like Saul. When kings like David ruled, they became a blessing to the nations around them at times. When they disobeyed God, they were conquered by foreign armies and did not become a blessing to nations. What's intriguing is when you get to the, the very last book of the Old Testament, as you've walked this whole journey out, you're going to find something fascinating. It's almost as if God's plan of using Israel had failed. The word of God has gone dark. 
The people from exile have finally returned. Their country is in shambles. They're, they're on the verge of idolatry. They've lost much of their heritage. What are they to do? Rather than being a blessing to all nations, Israel, at the end of the Old Testament, seems to become a curse to themselves because of their own sin. And what's intriguing is that it's in that dark moment of human history, that, that darkness, that time when the Word of God has gone quiet, in that moment is when God sent Jesus. It's in that moment the Genesis 3 champion has come, an Israelite born under the law of Moses, under the promise and commission of God to fulfill everything that Adam, Noah, and Israel had failed to do. What's intriguing is from our Advent series, we know that's Jesus. We've seen this as we tracked his life all the way through the Old Testament, landing in who Jesus is and what his birth meant to us. But perhaps no, no better verse shows this Jesus coming and fulfilling Abraham's promise than what Paul wrote in the book of Galatians when he wrote these words. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. See what this one astounding verse in Galatians tells us in summarizing everything we've just covered is that when God made the promise to Abraham, he was seeing Christ. We could go further and say when God made the promise to Adam and told him to go take dominion of all the earth, God was seeing Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, when God made the promise that he would send a champion, God was seeing Christ. When God chose Abraham to be the father of many people, that nation would be fulfilled in Christ. So the portrait we see in the Old Testament is a people group called by God to represent God to be a blessing to all nations. And the primary way that happened was by that people group being the nation or the people from which Christ, Jesus Christ, came. Israel became a blessing through Christ coming from Israel. Now you might say, what does that have to do with the Great Commission, man? Well, I'm really glad you asked. That's what we're going to cover next, right? Because we've seen from the beginning that God made man to represent him in the world. And we've seen that sin tarnished our image bearing and our representing of God. And we've seen that God's way of redeeming his grand plan would come through a nation, a people group. And we've seen that his plan of restoration was revealed and Jesus is coming to save us from our sin and restore us to God. And what the great commission, what is the great commission that Jesus gave us? Just before he left to go to heaven, after he completed his earthly work. What, what, what is it? He's restoring to us the grand plan of God to be a blessing to all nations, to take dominion of the earth by making disciples of everybody on the earth, of every nation, people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. But notice, notice what the weapons are. They're not swords and nuclear bombs. They're not political fights. They're teaching fellowship and discipleship. The weapon and plan of God is to be a blessing to all nations is the word of the Genesis 3 champion, the gospel. The good news of God that hope has come, that peace with God has come, joy eternal has come, love love has come in the person of Christ. See, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, is merely the gospelized version of Genesis chapter 1. 
It's the gospelized version of Genesis chapter 12. And from Matthew 28, from that point in Matthew 28 on in the Bible, you see something really, and in history, you see something really fascinating. And we're just going to use the book of Acts for this, right? I just want to take an exploration of what the gospel did in the New Testament time. Now, we know from Jesus' coming that, the, that his coming is the beginning of God's plan to begin to end out, you know, finish what he's done. Jesus gave this plan to his 12 disciples. Go make disciples of every nation. And he told them in Acts chapter 1 very clearly that they would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what? Go be his witnesses. Notice in Jerusalem, their hometown, in Judea, in Samaria, all the surrounding areas, and then he gives them another one, to the ends of the earth. Now in the Jewish mind, when they read Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and they read ends of the earth, they're thinking Rome. So farthest anybody had traveled. They don't think farther than that. They didn't think about what we think about on the world map that we look at because of all the discoveries that hadn't been made. In Acts chapter 2, the very power that Jesus promised to them came. Peter preached, 3,000 came to Christ, and that was in Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 8, something fascinating happened. Persecution hit the church. Now, what's interesting is you and I would have persecution hit, and in America today, we'd think the world is ending, Jesus is returning, it's all done, it's all over with. That's not what they thought. They thought, oh, it's time to go. We need to leave Jerusalem, and we're going to take the gospel with us. And notice the towns that Acts chapter 8 says they went to Judea and Samaria. The very exact same towns that Jesus had promised them in Acts chapter 1, they would be spreading to, to take the gospel to. And then in Acts chapter 28, which is jumping way ahead, this is after Paul. Paul is saved in Acts chapter 9, after the Gentiles received the gospel in Acts chapter 10. Where do we find Paul at the very end of the book of Acts? He's in Rome. Notice what he's doing. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, and without hindrance. In one book, 28 chapters covering 30 years of gospel work, what do you see happening? You see the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the end of the earth. In 30 years. Basically what you get in the book of Acts is like Sports Center's top 10 highlights of the church over 30 years. And in 30 years, what Jesus told them in Acts chapter 1 was done. Now, what we know right here now in 21st century Roseburg, Oregon, is this, that what started with one man, Jesus coming, going to 12 disciples, him giving them, go make disciples of all nations, going to 3,000 people in one day in Jerusalem, then to the end of their earth in Rome, has now come to us. And aren't you glad it did? Telling us, The great plan of God that started before time began is still marching onward. It's still moving ahead. Telling us that the gospel didn't fail. The church hasn't failed. And the gates of hell will never prevail against the church because Jesus promised it wouldn't. And if Jesus' promise in Acts 1 is fulfilled in Acts 28, why would we not believe that his promise in Matthew 16 would not be fulfilled in 21st century Roseburg, Oregon, or in our world today? So you might ask then, okay, I see that it's progressed. Where's it going? 
What's, what's Advent's fulfillment? What, what's the end result? Well, we can see that clearly in the very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I'm going to give you just a second to look at it and see if you see Advent's fulfillment. So you see it? People from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We could also say people from every walk of life, every race, every background, every heritage, every ethnicity, all gathered around the throne, worshiping the lamb who was slain, declaring his great worth. See, do, do you see, do you see what's being fulfilled? Do you see what's being finalized? What's being done? What does this look like? It looks like people from everywhere, all around the world, worshiping this glorious Savior, just like God counseled himself before time began, just like God told Adam to go take dominion of the earth, just like he told Israel, you would be a blessing to all nations, and just like he told in Jesus' day, go make disciples of all nations. What's at the end? Disciples of all nations worshiping this king. See, this is... If you're an Avenger fan, this is way better than Avenger Endgame. It's way better for us Star Wars junkies, way better than a new regime of Jedis. This is God from Genesis 1 showing us what his mission is and in Revelation showing us that it's accomplished. This is God's grand plan to be a blessing to all nations. In other words, this is God's grand plan of a great commission. See, I hope you see this, and I, I want you to see this, because listen, we, we as Americans in particular, we've got to pick our heads up a little bit and bi- get bigger. This is way bigger, this is way bigger than make America great again. It's way bigger than England's Camelot. It's way bigger than, than Hitler's Third Reich. It's way bigger than build back better. This is the grand plan of God. This is the mission of God. This is what he started and discussed and planned before time ever began. This is what he told us in Genesis chapter 1 and what he fulfilled and will fulfill when everything is done. It's what Jesus came to complete. Don't don't miss that. So let's end then with just asking then what's our part? Where do we play? What What do we do in this thing? what's Advent's mission? What's our part in Advent's mission? I want to give you three things I want you to take home with you. And the first one is, is to submit to Jesus. You know, maybe you've been here through the whole Christmas season with us and you have been hearing these sermons. You have realized you don't know, you don't know Jesus and you need to trust Christ as your King and your Savior. And listen, we, we would plead with you, turn to Christ, become a part of God's grand plan. Be a disciple. Become a child of God by trusting that he came to live in your place, die in your place, and he rose again from the dead. And he will one day come for his people. Don't, don't, don't walk out of here or don't leave this without submitting yourself to Christ. Trust Christ. Submit to you. You've got to start there. But maybe you claim Christ, and I just, I just want to issue a challenge to us heading into this next year. Are you submitted to Jesus as your true king? And here's what I mean by that. Does what he has said and what he commands of you 
does it, does it rule you? See, does it dominate your thinking? Does it dominate your thinking about how you manage your time, how you manage your money, how you discipline and educate your children, about your entertainment choices, your family life, your, the way you speak to your neighbor, the way you handle conflict with your spouse or your friends, the way you go to work, the way you posture yourself over that business deal that you've been longing for, or the way that you handle people around you. Submit to King Jesus, right? I mean, make, make it a goal. Go into 2022 with this thought in mind. I want to live my life submitted to King Jesus this year and ask God, Lord, what are, what are areas right now that aren't submitted to you? Listen, I'll tell you, he's good enough to show you. And the way he usually shows you is by taking something from you to see if you throw down on the ground and throw a tantrum, tantrum, you know, temper tantrum like our kids do. But you do it in your heart and you do it adult-like. You know, usually like anger, bitterness, impatience. You name it. What, what are those areas? So first, submit to Jesus, right? The second thing I'd say is treasure Jesus. See, I honestly don't think that we will demonstrate or declare that Jesus is our Savior until we, we treasure him. I mean, you absolutely treasure him. You know, we get that, um, a buddy of mine said years ago, it feels like we've been great commissioned to death. What we mean by that is we're always kind of browbeat over the head to share the gospel. You know, and you kind of share the gospel out of this obligation, and you finally do it, and you get this, well, you know, I finally got... But what if we actually shared the gospel because we love Jesus so much we couldn't stop talking about him? It's a big difference. We, we talk about the things we, we love and treasure. I mean, you guys know me well. I'm up in the pulpit all the time. What do I, you know I love sports. It's a no-brainer, right? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. We talk about those things, right? I mean, we discuss those things. And you want to live life that treasures Jesus in such a way that when your friends say to you, man, what did you do this weekend? Oh, my gosh, we had the best time at church. What did you do last night? Oh, I was hanging out with some Christian friends of mine, and we just got to talking about the wonders of, of the gospel. What did you do this morning? I don't know. I got my cup of coffee, and it always feels like the Holy Spirit showed up and meets me, you know. I opened the Bible, and I was reading this, right? Or a friend goes through a hard time, and you literally look at them and say, you know what? I have a friend. His name's Jesus. Could I, could I talk to him about what you just told me about? Can I pray with you? Could I pray about that issue? See, you, when you treasure someone, you'll have him first, and you talk about it. All right, so go, go into 2020 with a desire to just treasure him more. Let me just give you some thoughts about how to do that, right? One of the ways to do it is read things that will lift your gaze to the glories of God and the wonders of Christ. <clears throat> and I hear you. I hear people go, man, I'm not a reader. You don't get it, man. Listen, in this day and age, you've got no excuses anymore, right? It, you've got books on audio. You're about to have books on video. They probably have those already, right? You, you can have, like, somebody, it's not Dr. Seuss, but read to you something about the glories of Christ, right? Uh, find, find something, but elevate your gaze to it, right? John Piper likes to say that we drink so much of the cistern of the world, the platter of the world, that we don't even know that there's greater delicacies waiting for us. And it's really true. And so take some time to just pull your head out of that, that bowl that you're lapping in, and go just for a moment and begin to dwell in things that are deeper than you. Things that are hard to understand. And then get with somebody who, who you think treasures Christ. And ask them, what, what has helped you treasure Jesus differently? 
And they'll tell you. It was a preacher I listened to. It was sermons I listened to. It's a podcast that helps me. Uh, there's, there's books in the Bible that I've read that just really stir my affections. <clears throat> For me, it's Romans 5 through 11. I read those chapters and I cannot help but be worshiping when I get done. Right? It's Ephesians 1 through 3, seeing the glories of the gospel. Right? Just, just lift your gaze up a little bit more. Treasure Christ. And the last thing I'd say is let's represent, we should represent Jesus. It is interesting, isn't it, that when God made us as humans, what did he make us to do? To represent him. He made us to be a part of that mandate, to go take dominion by representing him. That doesn't just mean that we, we you know, dominate you know, flies and insects. It means that we represent God on the earth. But what's intriguing is after Christ came, what does Paul tell us that we are? We are Christ ambassadors or his representatives on the earth, restoring to us in Christ our representative status and form. It's also fascinating that when God called the nation of Israel, he called them a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But look what it says in 1 Peter 2 that he called the church the same thing. A, 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 a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, but with a, with a mandate or a commission. And what is it? to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you hear Peter saying, when you treasure being saved and the wonder of Christ, you're just going to talk about it. Because remember who you are. You're, you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a, a chosen race. See, we've been redeemed by Christ to be restored to our role of representing Christ in this world for the grand plan of God to be a blessing people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. What an amazing thing. And through submitting to Jesus, we have, we have a life to live for our great King. Through treasuring Jesus, we hold him dear to our hearts and he just kind of spills out as we talk about things with our, <clears throat> our friends and family members. And through representing Jesus, we demonstrate and declare the excellencies of Christ who called us out of darkness and, and we're members of his family. So listen, just, just marvel at this as we close. I mean, just think about this. The God of the universe who thought of this before time ever began. His grand plan was to be a blessing to every nation on earth. He has called us, us individuals. That the, that the book of James says your life is like a vapor, right? I mean, he's called us, those people. With this seemingly small and, and meaningless. He's called us to be a part of this plan that he has. I mean, how amazing is that? It's an amazing thought. It's way better than being a first-round draft pick of your favorite sports team. It's way better than that promotion you're waiting on at work. The God of the universe chose you, redeemed you, saved you, equipped you, and empowers you to serve in the greatest plan in the history of the universe, which is to make disciples of all nations and be a blessing to them. Or you can put it another way, to be a blessing to your neighbor, your coworker, your family member, your friend. It's interesting. It's why he actually put you in the century you live in. You ever thought about that? I mean, my wife would tell you she'd love to be born in the old days when there's no power, right? They did everything in an agrarian society like the Amish. She'd love to live in Amish. You know, I can't do that. You know, I got to have something at my fingertips. I got to have power, right? But I wish I was born in, in the medieval times. I mean, the idea of swords and spears and duels, I mean, you talk about sweet time. I mean, that's, a, you know, jousting. I mean, let's do that thing, you know? I just sounds so cool to me, right? But God didn't put me in that time. See, God put us now here. And it's funny, and he put us in this generation. 
We were doing some studies on generations yesterday. With my kids we were driving over to our neighbor, our family's house for Christmas, talking about all the generations our kids are from, and talking about the things that each generation is affected by. And I and I could feel it in one of my kids, just kind of going, "Why was I born in this generation, man?" You know, you look around your generation, and you go, "What was I? Why was I born? Why was I an '80s kid?" You know, why why did I was born in the greatest era of music ever? I mean, you guys, right? Why was I born in that? Right? Why did God put me here now? He, that's why he placed you in the family you're in. It's why put you, God put you in the neighborhood you're in. I mean, you might have thought you'd grab that neighborhood because, man, we had his cute little house. It's what we always wanted. It's our dream home. That's where God put you. Why did God give, put you in that school you're in? He put you in that job. Why did he give you the interests that you have? Why are you hunters or fishermen or why are you golfers or why are you accountants or why are you like law? Why do you like all variety of other things? Why? Why? Why does God do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because God wants representatives in every sphere of this world. Every sphere. And he's called you to be a part of that plan. God's grand plan started in paradise in Genesis chapter 1. Right? We saw that. In the Bible. In the end, it ends in paradise in the book of Revelation. What's crazy is, in the middle... He saves us from ourselves and from our small mission so that we can have the privilege of representing him and his great commission. What, a, what an amazing thing. What a God we serve. And he's called you to be a part of it. See, so Advent's mission to the world, you see how grand this is? Right? This is a huge plan. And God wants us to play a part in it. Let's pray. Father, you're, you're, you're stirring each of us right now about areas where we don't treasure you and probably areas where we have not represented you very well. So we just confess those areas to you. So church, just right now before God, do business with your God. <clears throat> Lean into him. He cares for you. And Father, we, we want to represent you well. So I pray, I pray you to have, help us to treasure Christ more. Help us to be submitted to Christ, Lord. I, I just think of areas in our homes <clears throat> that were submitted to King Jesus in our singleness. We're submitted to King Jesus in our marriages. Submitted to King Jesus in raising kids and building a home. We're submitted to King Jesus in our jobs. We want to do things with not just integrity, but we don't do them in a way that represents you well to our coworkers. We want to represent Jesus well in our schools. We want to represent Jesus in our neighborhood. We want to be good neighbors. We want to represent Jesus well in our hobbies. And Lord, we get so small in these things. We, we think of us so often. Would you lift up our gaze to your grand plan? To your great commission? 
And we thank you, Lord, that you, there will be nothing to stop you from getting this done. But Father, we sure want to play our part faithfully. I pray for my friends in the room, those online. Readjust us where you need to. We're your people anyway. Position us where you want us. For your glory. For the good of your people who don't even know that you're, they're your people yet. And for the advancement of your gospel to the ends of the earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.